I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. As we head into Christmas and the end of the year, now seems a good a time as any to do our dairy review. For this two-part episode, I'm joined by Chagas Dairy Advisors Jim Moyles, Kira O'Shea and Shamie Nolan to review the milk and grass production and consider the implications of short weather shocks on day-to-day management in 2020. And firstly, Jim quantified the productivity in his clients' herds. I'm dealing with approximately maybe 140 dairy clients across kind of south and west County Offaly. I can deal with three discussion groups and I'm also involved in running a dairy startup course across the Midlands. In the main, my suppliers would be kind of Arbonne and Lakeland suppliers, uh, a small number of suppliers for Glombie and Centenary. And in terms of herd size, I, I think we're just a little over 100 cows on average, uh, where the, and the herd size among discussion group members would be a little bit higher. Uh, I looked it up there, I think it's about 130 uh, cows uh, is the average across the discussion group members. And to you, Kira. So I'm based in the McCroom area and uh, my area would be quite heavy soils base and I'd have about 160 clients there around with five groups and they'd be all dairy gold suppliers and I, around the average herd size uh, for my clients would be around the 100 mark or just slightly over it. And to you, Shamie? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, thanks, uh, M. Louise. Uh, I'm... I'm unusual in that I covered the Roscommon and Lamford, uh, uh, two counties, and the one, one, only one dairy advisor for two counties. So I'm not in a densely populated dairying area. I suppose in that area, there's, there's, uh, there's approximately, I suppose, 250 suppliers in the two counties. Um, the range, I suppose, in, in cow size or in farm size is about from 20 to maybe 550 cows, is probably the biggest herd. The average, I say, is, in, is close enough to 80 cows, predominantly spring cabin. Uh, which a bit of a history maybe of, of, of milking some late calvers throughout the winter. Um, so, and, and most, most, most of the suppliers are either Arivo or Lakeland, which, with some uh, Arabon suppliers. So I guess when we, when we consider, you know, across the three areas that you're talking about, very much in line with the national average in terms of, you know, the 80 cow farm and, and moving up, moving upwards uh, as we're seeing the trend. Um, in terms then of production, you know, I, I suppose to, if we come to you, Shamie, what has this year been like in terms of milk production? Has it, is it on par with 2019 or are we seeing more or less milk produced on farms? Um, yeah, I, I'd have to say it's kind of mo- on average, it's more on uh, on par with with uh, twenty nineteen. I can't see any great difference. We examine this, I suppose, through the co-op performance report uh, regularly with discussion groups. And the last the last time I looked at it uh, up until the end of August, there with the groups, it, I suppose it varied between groups. I suppose depending on on what what the makeup of the group was. But we say if you have a group with kind of what you call maybe settled farmers who are uh, not in expansion mode or, or that, you know, there's no great change in terms of milk supply. But I have other groups then that maybe are where there's uh, a consignment of, of new entrants into it. And in some of those groups, you know, uh, milk supply could be up 15 to 20 percent uh, in some of those groups. You know, so it, it, it varies a lot depending on, on, on the makeup of the discussion group that you're looking at, really, I suppose. But on average, I'd say it's, it's quite static. Yeah. And, and can you quantify the milk solids or milk yield produced on average on those farms? Well, I suppose if we look at the Arivo average and the co-op average, we say Arabon and, and Lakelands for 2019, the average supplier supplied about 400 and 
five or six kilos of milk solids. You know, but if we look at the, the, the uh, suppliers in the discussion groups for those years, you know, they were up at 430 to 450 kilos of milk solids, depending on which, on which group uh, you're looking at. So I would expect it to be similar to 2019 and talking about maybe 430 to 450 kilos of milk solids in the discussion group. And I guess when we consider milk production and the focus, you know, where we put our focus, like we're, we're all aware the currency for um, milk is the A plus B minus C payment system. So we're, you know, we're really looking at fat and protein in combination with a good milk yield. Um, t- to you, Jim, what are the main drivers of milk solids that you see from your farmers? So, you know, the farmers that are producing a good level of milk solids, what exactly are they doing to achieve that? Uh, I guess it's not really rocket science to be honest with you. One of the big drivers that we kind of our KPI we talk about within Chagas and people will be familiar with is the six week calving rate. You know that has a massive effect in in terms of the number of days cows will actually be in milk. You know so although maybe some farmers in their own eyes they might have a cow that they feel she's a good milker or that, but if she calves into April or early May or that, she's never going to make up ground on the February calf or, you know, and, and unless you're prepared to milk her on over the winter, and that's probably not somewhere we really want to go. So uh, t- to me, we've seen kind of over the last five years or so, so a massive increase in, in milk solids. You know, I, I think around the time quotes were removed, we were looking at 350, 360 kgs of milk solids. You know, that was obviously hampered by milk um, quotas. But now uh, looking at figures there in terms of 2019, the annual figure was something like 400 and, and four, uh, 417 kgs of milk solids per cow. So uh, look, uh, it's the days of milk is the main driver. Another big part of it obviously would be the national herd is starting to mature a bit, the, the extra uh, young herds that Shane we talked about there and new entrants coming in, there's maybe not as much expansion on existing herds and, and cows uh, 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 they're beginning to mature a little bit. You know, I think the average lactation looking at spring calving report this year is now up to 3.6 lactations for cows in the herd. You know, that's increasing year on year. But then again, the, one of the obvious things is improved genetics. Uh, I, I remember being at a training day or a Zoom call with Pat Dillon only a few weeks ago, and he he was a pain to stake to state that um, you know a lot of this increase in productivity on farm only something like twenty percent of it can be accredited to extra meal uh, being being fed on farms and maybe extra fertilizer. There are the two things he pinpointed that only twenty percent of it can be like the other eighty percent is down to better genetics on farms and better technical efficiency that the farmers deserve a lot of credit for, for, for the level of production, uh, how they've drove, driven on production uh, per cow and, and total production the last number of years. So. so I guess to take that point a step further, you know, Jim, you've mentioned that, you know, I guess genetics is accounting for a lot of gains that we're making on dairy farms. To you, Kira, I mean, from your perspective dealing with farmers, are they seeing these results on farm as a result of, you know, breeding for improved genetics and improved EBI? Or is it just something we're seeing maybe at a far, uh, at a research level? Yes, I, I think um, farmers are seeing a benefit with the EBI. Um, we have had groups there that have met with ICBF and they have um, looked at their, their average uh, gains of the yearly gains of their EBI and it's approximately around six euros and going up to about 7.6 uh, euros uh, for the groups. And um, their their average herd EBI across groups is is around um, 
euros there and compare that to the dairy gold average suppliers at um, 109 euros so there is gains being made and gains achieved there and um, groups have kind of focused on in terms of breeding for bulls um, their kgs and milk solids fat percentages kgs of fat and protein fertility ebi and maintenance and they have put those as kind of good criterias for picking bulls and um this year that uh with the use of sire advice which would have been a great um focus that we would have had with with spring groups um we we pushed it out there to the groups of doing uh, sire advice and we had like a 10 percent increase in in across some of the groups there with using sire advice um and like i do think it, it, it is making an improvement and we can see there with um the monitor farmers that um the, the kgs milk solids that they have sold to the co-op uh to the first of december is uh 523 kgs milk solids and then compare that to 2019 full year uh full year figures it's uh 534 kgs milk solids so um in terms of the dairy gold uh monitor farmers there will be a slight slightly ahead this year on on kgs milk solids i do think and I guess a really good point that you make there, uh, Kira, in terms of, you know, the use of sire advice. And it's 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 like a foolproof system and it gives you all of the sub indexes that the, you know, is that are included in the EBI. And you can pick the perfect bulls for your farm, you know, to create the perfect cow in your eyes. And I think, you know, if, if the four of us here uh, articulated the, the type of criteria we wanted it would be slightly different and that's reflected across you know the various breeds and I suppose cow size that we see on farms I guess from your perspective Shami have you anything to add in terms of I suppose the benefits your um, farmers are seeing uh, from EBI is it real on farm? Absolutely yeah and I, I think it's one area maybe that uh, farmers aren't always um don't always realize how much how much ground they've, they've made and it's, i suppose it's important to look at some of these things maybe over a, a time frame like a four or a five year time frame um like as jim already said like if we go back to 2014 2015 the average kilos of milk solids in the co-ops was you know down around 350 kilos of milk solids up this neck of the woods now it's over 400 like the average the average gain i suppose uh, of kilos of milk solids per cow uh, is is about you know, fifteen percent or more over that over a, a four or five year period, so that's that's nothing to be sneezed at, really. Like it's it's a significant gain. Like the other the other area which has improved a lot is the average six week calving rate. You know, go back to 2014, 2015, I know some of my groups, the average six week calving rate was down at sixty percent. Now it's up, just touching off eighty percent as an average. You know, so those are significant gains, and uh, you know, definitely. Farmers, farmers can don't always see it clearly. I don't think when they're looking at maybe comparing one year with another. But if they go back and clear, see uh, or or um, look at where they were maybe four or five years ago compared to where they are now, there's there's very big gains to be to be seen cumulatively. And, and I think it's a it's a really nice point. And if you know if I know it's it's a broad figure, but you know uh, some people will say it costs about one thousand euro to keep a cow on the farm for the year, and the difference between twenty fifteen and now is that fifty kilos of milk solids that has a huge financial contribution to make to the farm. If we put a, a round figure of a five euro, um, five euro per kilo of milk solids, that's two hundred and fifty 
euro of additional profit per cow. And as you say, Jamie, nothing to be sneezed at. Any further comments from you, Jim, on that in terms of the EBI? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I suppose Jamie just mentioned about you know some of the discussion groups and item groups. You know, up over eighty percent as an average six-week calving rate, but discussion groups only account for about a third of my clients uh, there's another two thirds out there and if you not to put a dampener on it if you're to look at a national average figure the six week happen rate is only 65 percent so there's lots lots of room for improvement there uh look at it, it is moving up but only very slightly maybe one percentage point a year uh, one thing that i did know from a recent kind of report from icbf they kind of did a summary the spring, spring cabin of 2020 uh, uh, sorry, this is a summary of, of the calving season 2020 in terms of the KPIs and this for this year for the first time we kind of broke the 70% barrier in terms of heifers calving down at two years of age. So, so ICBF take between 22 months and 26 months as the kind of the, the target area for calving down heifers for the first time. And if you were to go back to, I just looked it up, if you go back to 2015, we were only at 59% there. So not, not, uh, now we're up to over seven at 71 percent so look the, the, the fertility figures which is a big part of the ebi they're a bit of a slow burner it takes a lot more time we've seen a more rapid increase in, in fat and protein percentages and overall milk solids and, and people can you know measure these them a bit easier but but there is a still a body of work to be done out there and 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 there's no doubt a, a question about with the ebi is a massive tool and it's really transformed the industry but there's we don't want to take our foot off the gas either you know or get complacent about it you know because uh, it, it's you know we had a bit of controversy already this year in terms of maybe the genomics with, with some of the younger bulls and over predicting their fertility sub-index and that so look it, it's a body of work as an ongoing body of work and and and, and uh, you can see it definitely is delivering uh, for farmers MOEs. And, and that's absolutely it. It's ongoing and, and we need to keep on top of it and keep ourselves informed. I think, Shami, your point um, in terms of reflecting is a really nice idea. And there are some really nice reports that give you a five year trend. So looking back over the last five years, where was your farm at? And I would say that a lot of dairy farmers will see that upward trend where they have seen incremental improvements, um, you know, making leaps and bounds in terms of um, measurable performance. If we turn our attention then to grass, I, I mean, we, we, we did see that um, while there wasn't major weather shocks this year, farmers did get hit at times. I suppose, Shami, can you give us a, a, an overview of, of where the weather was at this year? Yeah, I suppose I have a bit of a, an interest in this uh, personally because I'm actually a, a, a rainfall recorder for Met Airden here. And... Um, record rainfall on a daily basis so this neck of the woods has had a, has had a quite uh, a wet year it'll go down to one of the wettest years in a considerably long time we'll probably hit about 1500 millimeters of rain this neck of the woods you know uh, which compares like if you compare with um you know the east of the country which will you know it won't it'll be seven or eight hundred millimeters down south it'll probably be it'll 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 struggle to reach a thousand millimeters of rain so Definitely, uh, we've had a, 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 a wet year. Now, if we look back to where, where, the, where it caused the problem. Um, I suppose February was a, an absolute washout. We had uh, nearly a foot of rain in, in, in February. There was 260 millimetres in total. But after that, I suppose, uh, things improved quite well in the second half of March. We had March and April and into May were very, very good uh, uh, months. And I suppose in some parts of the country, you, you did hit a, a mini drought not to any great extent up here. 
um, didn't really affect anybody to, uh, to any large extent anyway. And I suppose looking at, um, I suppose, the, the, the grass production figures for some of, some of my fellows there that are measured in grass, there's no great difference between uh, 2019 and, 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 and this year. Some of them are up maybe half a ton, some of them are down half a ton, but it, the year itself has, has seen no great uh, difference in terms of grass growth compared to, compared to 2019. As a follow-on from that then, I suppose, as we headed into uh, the autumn time of the year, particularly October and November, uh, we had uh, quite a lot of rainfall here as well, with 160 and 170 millimetres of rain for, for those months, each, each of those months. So it, like it did bring, I suppose, ground conditions got difficult quite quickly in the month of October and that. Uh, and in, in some cases, it drew the, the grazing year maybe to a, a close, maybe a bit quicker than people would normally like. But over, overall, I suppose, I, I would have to say, and even talking to farmers over the last while, you know, at this time of the year, farmers often reflect on the year that was and how it was. And we take COVID out of it for a minute, but they will, they will say that, you know, it, it was... It was Quite a good year overall, like from a grass production point of year and from a milk production point of year. And and quantify then you you mentioned that you know farmers are maybe um, a half a ton up or down on last year. What what sort of a figure are you talking about, Jamie? Uh, so like you have a you have a big range. About, the average lad maybe is growing maybe thirteen tons or that. You know, so maybe he might be he might be up to thirteen and a half tons this year. Most people seem to be up a small bit in terms of percentages. It's quite small. You know, um, but that's the reality of it. Is about they're up, 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 maybe up, maybe slightly. You know, yeah. And I guess to you, Kira, um, you know, you've sixty percent of the rainfall, um, as quoted by Shami, a weatherman. But I suppose are there any weather shocks that stick out to you in particular um, on, on farms this year? And, and what sort of production did your clients see? Yeah, so um, I agree with Jamie there that like in February, it was like one of the wettest um, Februarys I think that was recorded. Um, I know from the heavy soils farms that they were recorded, I think around um, in, in the Balnagree area, it was around 226 um, millimetres there. But um, I suppose I kind of, in looking back at um, groups, uh, Google Cheat status and that, um, I suppose about 8% of the farm uh, was grazed by the 1st of March. So um, across groups, it was kind of ranging around between 0 to 10%, kind of like um, in, in my area uh, where it's kind of heavy soils. And then I suppose like um, that was a struggle for farmers to, to, to meet that uh, 1st of March target of um, 30% to be grazed when, when most of them were falling kind of... Um, you know, under ten percent grazed, like so. So they they um, had to try and catch up there, like you know. And then I suppose in the main season, then they um, things started to become steady. It was good growth. Um, there was some extra grass growing there, and um, I suppose in some parts of Cork, drought may have affected in places. Uh, but my area overall was quite good. And then I suppose in August, things turned again, I suppose a bit wet again. And um, I suppose that affected the autumn grazing targets to be achieved uh, by farmers there. And looking back on the, the, the group's data sheets like, and that, um, and past race figures for groups and that, um, 
September for for some groups there, September's average farm cover was coming in around 830. And then in October, it was around um, 1000 of an average farm cover at a stocking rate of around three. So they didn't actually um, meet their target. At, like if they were stocked at three, they'd want to be at like uh, 1150. So I suppose I, I did notice there with, with some groups when we asked them kind of figure there uh, to kind of add up uh, their their meal figures that they kind of were surprised that they fed a small bit more. Um, but that I think was down to the, the wet um, February and kind of the autumn is kind of where they kind of seemed to but fed more. And I suppose there um, as well in the in the autumn there, dry matters crashed as well to maybe around 11, 12%. Um, and that that had an impact as well. So I suppose the challenging times was the springtime with the wet February and and the autumn time there. But like the main grazing season was steady and it was a good growth. And I suppose like with some of um, my groups there, um, I like compared the 2019, there was like about 11 and a half tons dry matter per hectare grown. And then 2020 was about 13 tons dry matter grown, I suppose. There is variance in that figure, but a lot of it is down to there's a lot more farmers measuring grass um, with the push of the grass 10 group that I have. And um, I suppose that they have done a lot more grass measuring, a lot more walks as well. Um, like I have some farmers there that in 2019 might have only done around 20, but they're up on 35 walks now, you know, so that that's a great focus there as well, you know, um, as well. And I guess when they're measuring here, they're probably capturing a lot of grass that's growing, you know, the more regularly that you measure, you know, the more grass that you're going to pick up in terms of on farm, as opposed to, you know, every second week you're 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 potentially missing peaks. I, I think it's a very fair comment that you make. And I think it's something that people saw across the whole country in, um, you know, that rain in August really threw people. And, you know, some people were in the situation where they were delayed taking out surplus bales. And also then people in some cases, growth just plummeted and therefore they didn't reach that peak that you're talking about in terms of, you know, what you're targeting at the end of September. And therefore, I guess a lot of people ended up housing early. Uh, to you, to you, Jim, I mean, say in, in your area in Offaly, again, was there, was there much in terms of I suppose effects of the weather in terms of how people farmed from a grass perspective yeah I suppose Emily's the, the kind of the two weather standout events for me for 2020 was I think Jamie described it very well he said a washout it was the month of February and, and the second event was a kind of a, a drought that came very shortly afterwards our local weather stations Gorgine weather station and I actually looked it up around the time because it felt like it was raining every day in February but they recorded 220 mils of rain which is 11 inches of rainfall in for the month of February and typically they'd only be recording about two and a half inches uh, for that particular month so uh, from the the, this, the the deluge of rainfall in February we headed into a kind of a a month of March that temperatures were below normal so it all kind of made for a very difficult start to the grazing year for, for farmers and that so look it's something they could have done without but very sh- quickly on the tails of that we, we headed into April and May and, and then there was very little rainfall you know we went from a kind of a feast to a famine and, and that, that kind of created 
I think Shimmy used the word mini drought, but I was going to call it an early summer drought in, in the Midlands areas. And I suppose it was probably maybe more pronounced in the southeast of the country, but definitely depending on, you know, if you were on lighter silage or if you had a higher stack, stocking rate, you were feeling the pinch there in May. The big thing about, say, the drought this year was we, we had a second drought in the space of two years. So farmers were kind of throwing their eyes to heaven and saying, geez, not, not, we're not going to face into this again. But at least this year it was less severe and it probably came a little bit earlier and, and they didn't last as long. Uh, I noticed there in 2018, there was very good first cuts of silage taken and, and then there was a, a bit of a job to try to gather up second cuts. This time round, the, the yields of first cut were very much back and behind and that we've seen in cases in the Midlands here where second cuts of silage were actually heavier than first cuts of silage and that's something you don't usually see too often. Um, ju just maybe bring it back to some of the discussion group members and that we were... <laughs> After lockdown, we were back on farms in July, and one particular group member that was hosting the meeting for July, he's on lightish enough sales, and, and uh, he's milking around 140 cows or so. And he tried to calculate the cost of the, say, the summer drought of 2020 versus the, the, the previous year, which was more normal in terms of uh, rainfall and, uh, and climate conditions. So he actually worked it out there. He totaled up the extra meal, the extra silage, uh, and he actually bought in a bit of zero grazed grass from out blocks to try to supplement cows. And it came to an extra 8,000 euros is what he totaled up. So 8,000 by divided by the 140 cows, it was nearly 60 euros per cow. And uh, when he worked it back, it was about 40, 40 euros out of that 60 euros per cow was ex extra, extra meal. But the really interesting thing, I suppose, it was he actually had done the same exercise for 2018 and he had the same number of cows in 18 as he had in 2020. But when he did the total cost that year was 24,000 uh, what was the cost of the 2018 drought on his farm versus the 8,000. So it kind of puts the two droughts, I guess, into a little bit of perspective anyway. You know, it wasn't near, near severe, but at the time now it wasn't too pleasant for, for dairy farmers, to be honest with you, to, to have enough, enough uh, stress and work. Without, uh, without having to deal with, uh, you know, a drought in the summer. And, and it's not, like, for similar to the, the Shami and Kira on the call, where a discussion room, uh, discussion facilitators, you don't expect in the month of July when you're sending out the, 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 uh, the, the worksheet, it was actually May and June this year that, that we had a column for silage to find out how much silage farmers were, 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 were feeding. So obviously maybe the, the lower stocked farmers and maybe on heavier silage, they didn't get pinched as much and, and uh, but definitely um, there was silage being fed that we could have done without. Uh, and just to final, finish out the year, I guess, August then came very wet again. We got a mighty reprieve in September and there was high hopes that we were going to get a good bag end and all would be forgotten. But unfortunately, rainfall reared its ugly head again in early October. And as Jamie said, definitely around the, the Midlands area, the, the grass year finished up a little bit earlier than we would have liked and made the thing a bit more challenging. In terms of like the amount of grass growing, I'd say it's on a par with other years. You know, we caught up in parts. I know uh, Michal O'Leary from Pasture Base Ireland, he put a new a bulletin, a grassland bulletin during the week, and he, he mentioned 13.4 tonnes growing on dairy farms that had completed over 30 walks during the year. So again, I, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have had too many farmers north of 13 and a half tonnes, to be honest with you. I, I'd say uh, on average, they're, they're, back, they're back a little bit from, from that figure. Uh, just to jump in there, the dairy gold monitor farmers are up about 0.4 of, uh, of a ton um, on their pasture-based grass worm figures as well. Just to... it, And that's in comparison to 2019, Kira. Yeah, 
I think it's it's an interesting point you make, Jim. So what you're saying is is Mehal's figures from pasture base across the whole country is 13.4 tonnes. And I think that's very much in agreement what um, what you're talking about from your farms, you know, Shamey, um up kind of more um, northwest in, in the country at the 13 tonnes and, and indeed Kira down south at 13 tonnes. And I think, again, a, a point that has come from pasture base in the past is, you know, regardless of where you are in the country, you can you can grow the grass. I suppose it's just to ensure that you have the, the grazing infrastructure and facilities there to, to utilise it. I suppose a final comment from each of you in relation to grassland before we move on, um, you know, we would have heard earlier this this year, I, I think particularly around the time of the Chagas National Dairy Conference, uh, fr- you know, there are strong signals from the Department of Agriculture that chemical nitrogen allowance um, on farms is set to reduce. Um, I guess, where do you see grass production going on farms? Can that level and like, let's put the figure of 13 tonnes on average uh, across these farms, um, you know, is that going to be maintained or if chemical N does reduce, do you see that we're going to maybe fall back to 12 tonnes of grass grown? We might start uh, with you, Kira. Um, yes, I think um, that, that that figure of 13 tonnes can be maintained, like I suppose, like with the with the introduction of like maybe introducing clover, you know, um, you can you can reduce your chemical nitrogen that way. Like I have one farmer there that um, he has some clover set and and um in his first year of setting it he was spreading the same and he realized um he was uh doing the wrong thing he was killing the clover but uh, he kind of went back to the 150 um there of the chemical nitrogen and uh um he he sees great response and it grows as much as any other field there and i suppose in my area there's been a great uptake with the low emission slurry spreading um with the tams grant there and um i suppose Farmers are seeing the benefits there with the extra bit of nitrogen uh, there, about nine nine units per thousand gallons that they're getting there. And then I have like um, another few farmers there that their soil fertility would be spot on, like they'd have their pH at 6.3 indexes would be very good. And they're um, in the main kind of season, they're kind of targeting a unit per day in, in the rounds. So like if there was a 20 day round, they'd, they'd spread 20 units there. So, so like they're kind of, uh, once there that I see straight away like you know and any further comment uh, from yourself Shami on that yeah, sure look at everything Kira has said there is is, is spot on you know the, the one and I think it's an important point that she has made there in relation to uh, a lot is going to be hung on on the success of clover you know and I suppose maybe down through the years uh, clover maybe has got a bit of a bad name because it hasn't survived in swarts and you know, but Kira makes a very valid point there in that uh, a lot of the, the big mistake that was made with clover is that the amount of nitrogen applied to the clover swart wasn't reduced from May on, and that caused the, the clover to die out of the swart again. So I think that's a, a bit of a, a management change for farmers to get their, their head around, is that if you are incorporating clover into a swart, you must reduce the chemical nitrogen from the month of May, June on, to give the clover a chance to come and, and actually fix its own nitrogen. You know, any other key areas that will maintain grass production um, from you, Jim? Yeah, um, you know, I wouldn't underestimate a challenge kind of facing farmers if if, if like we've heard talks of maybe a 20 percent reduction in, in your allowance for chemical nitrogen. It's going to be um, tall orders to maintain 
the same level of grass production on farms. Before I'd go to Clover, uh, I'd actually maybe start from a different side. I'd, we were kind of involved there recently in delivering derogation training courses to farmers. And the first step is probably to get more value out with the chemical nitrogen that's going out on your farms at the moment. Uh, and we talk about a term called nitrogen use efficiency. And what we would have been a pains to highlight here was to, the first step was to correct your pH, maybe through a farm liming program. Like for that, first of all, that's kind of relatively low cost. And it, unlike Clover, it doesn't take massive technical ability, you know, on a farmer's behalf to, 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 to bring his soil pHs up to the required level. After getting lime right, you're onto your, your indices. Kira mentioned soil fertility, you know, working your P and Ks up to an index three or a medium. Um, okay, that's going to cost a bit more money and it's going to take a bit more time. But they'd be the kind of areas I'd work into, you know, through the use of fertilizer plan, really, to, to, to lift them out of grass growing. Actually doing the, the lime and the P and Ks, if you, if you were starting at a very low base from soil fertility, we were, you know, told that you could lift your grass production by four to five tons of grass dry matter per hectare. Okay, that's granted you're starting with a very low pH and, and probably index one for P and K, but there's massive potential to lift the amount of grass out there because uh, only a few years ago, I think it was only 10% of, of um, dairy farms uh, were ticking the box for pH, P and K. I know that's lifted a little bit. Uh, the other thing in terms of, you know, if I'd cut back a nitrogen, we would have been a pains again to state about the timing of a fertilizer and, and, and you know, not, not to be maybe blanket spreading the farm with, with chemical nitrogen in the first round to replace some of this nitrogen with slurry and, and you know, maybe avoid the wet or peaty soils to later in the spring when you're going to get a better response. Um, and maybe when I talk about the timing of the story, that, that goes hand in hand with having sufficient slurry capacity on farms. You know, we've seen, um, you know, cow numbers grow on farms. I'm not sure we've seen the same growth in slurry capacity on farms, you know. And so to my mind, really, we should be trying to, if we're going to be cutting back in chemical nitrogen, some of that's going to be replaced by slurry. Okay, people talk straight away about the low emission slurry spreading, which is fine, but we really want to be getting that slurry out maybe from February onwards. You know, people having to go in the first day that the open season starts in the middle of January is probably not good enough from my perspective anyway. So, but, and I do appreciate that's going to cost money on farms. So, so maybe that's this could be looked at. So these are areas I'd be looking at before I look at clover and, and the multi-species wards. The, 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 there's been a lot of work Emma Louise and research done in Chagas and Salahed and, and Clonakilty in different parts on clover, yet the level of clover on farms is still very low. I think it's been estimated to be less than 5%. Uh, and and um, I, I think there's a big body of work to be done there uh, to, to, to bring that up. But from on the advisory side, like the research has been done, but the advisory side and getting it implemented at farm level is going to be... A, a, shouldn't want wouldn't want to be underestimated um you know the level of management required for managing clover is is far higher and the skills get required than managing perennial ryegrass perennial ryegrass is, is a lot simpler to, to manage and we've been you know try, you know we haven't maybe brought everybody where we want on perennial ryegrass let alone be talking about how we're going to get lads up to the level that they can manage um a clover so the clover and multi-species will be part of it but i'd be picking the lower hanging fruit, first of all, to be honest with you. And I, I think there's there's some really good points made there. And Just on that, Emma, Louise, can I come in there for a second? I suppose it's important to point out that, you know, uh, I think it's a figure around a thousand, I must stand corrected on this now, but there's around a thousand dairy farmers in the country that are doing over 25 or 30 measurements in the year. 
you know, we still have a very, very low level of, of uptake of grassland measurement. That would equate to maybe five or 6% of the, if you take the 18,000 dairy farmers in the country, it's only five or 6% of, of lads are actually, uh, actually measured in grass. And I suppose that's an, um, are, are people going out and spreading uh, nitrogen to grow grass that they don't really need, you know, or don't, you know, maybe they have a surplus on the farm already and they don't know it and they're going out and spreading additional nitrogen to grow more grass, like, you know, for maybe some of it to rot into the ground, like, you know, so um, these are, these are areas, I suppose, and it's, it's a, it's slow progress in some of these areas, but they're definitely areas where there's, 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 there's uh, room for improvement, you know. Yeah, I think I think there's some great points made there. And I think, you, you know, it, it comes back to the basics um, from what you're talking about. And people always talk about the primary step in terms of growing grass is to get what's happening under the ground in terms of the soil. Right. And it's what you're talking about there, your pH, uh, your P and K. And then what's happening over the ground is that grass that you're growing. And, and a really valid point that you make, Shamie. And, and it's a challenge to put out there to farmers. You know, um, a lot of people will say well I, I walk the ground but I don't take note of the figures or I'm, I make note of the figures but I don't put them into something like pasture base and I guess look that, that's fair enough and that's what you're doing but at the same time you know there is potential that you're growing too much grass and, and you're essentially wasting it so that nitrogen might not necessarily be, you know, be needed. The you know the low emission slurry spreading and the white clover has also come up, and and they're things that that will help farmers in terms of getting better value from the, I suppose the nitrogen in slurry, and and also looking at clover in terms of its nitrogen fixation properties. That's it for part one of the review of the dairy farming year, and my thanks to Jim Moyles, Kiro Shea, and Jamie Nolan for joining me. Join us next week for part two when we continue our review, looking at the profit on dairy farms in 2020 and how farmers and industry alike coped with the challenge that COVID-19 presented throughout 2020. We at The Dairy Edge wish you all a very happy Christmas and every good wish for 2021. And we thank you for your continued support tuning into The Dairy Edge podcast each week. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.